Welcome to the Rust Belt Rundown, brought to you by Rust Belt Recruiting. This podcast is designed to shine a light on the meaningful work being done in Northeast Ohio and the surrounding region. We will convene manufacturing executives and Northeast Ohio business leaders for candid discussions about their business, regional happenings, industry trends, entrepreneurship, and more. Now, let's get running on The Rundown. Welcome, everyone, to episode 30 of the Rust Belt Rundown, a Rust Belt recruiting production. I am your host, Paul O'Connor, and on this episode, we are joined by Rachel Stentz-Bogger, Vice President of Administration and Development at the Greater Cleveland Sports Commission. Rachel, welcome to the show. Happy Friday. How are we doing? Thanks, Paul. Hi, great to be here. I appreciate the invitation. Of course, there's no better way to start a Friday than to uh, you know talk about your career and your experience. So uh, I'm excited. Uh, let's jump in. So for our audience, tell us a little background on you um, before you got to. And I'm going to just say uh, the GCSC moving forward because. We may never get out of here if I say the Greater Cleveland Sports Commission every single time. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Um, yeah, we, we refer to it also as GCSC, so uh, that's that's no problem at all. Um, okay, good. Well, I, I, uh, I'm actually from uh, New Jersey. That's uh, kind of a fun fact for folks. I grew up in New yes, Jersey. Yes, I love it. I'm from Connecticut. Oh, so very good, nice. Yeah. East Coast love. That's right, East Coast love. So um, I, I was born in Indiana, but uh, shortly thereafter, we moved to New Jersey. I did all my growing up in Princeton. Uh, New Jersey, which was a wonderful place to grow up. Um, I uh, graduated from Princeton High School um, and went back to Indiana. So I graduated from Indiana University in um, 1999, and I have a degree in sports management and a minor in Spanish, although I, I don't use my Spanish much. I, I should probably brush up on that. Um, and, when, you, uh, when you graduated, could you, could you talk fluently? Uh, you know, I spent um, a few weeks in Spain um, one of the summers, and um, after being there about two weeks, I felt very comfortable um, with my Spanish. You know, conversational Spanish is different than what you learn in a class. Yeah. You know? So um, I felt very yeah. comfortable at that point, but that was probably the peak of my Spanish speaking uh, life at that point. But we've got a really cool event coming up in a few years um, that I'll be highly involved with um, called the 2024 Pan American Masters Games. And there will be a lot of um, Spanish speaking um, uh, attendees and, and athletes because we're um, pulling a lot from uh, Central and South America. So it would be a good idea for me to brush up on it and just be, you know, again, yeah. conversationally uh, uh adequate <laughs> would really be my goal. So um, yeah. anyway, graduated from Indiana and um, I knew I didn't want to go back to New Jersey, um, but I didn't really have anywhere to go. And so it was kind of a turning point for me. I felt like um, I wanted to explore. I wanted to go somewhere new. I had um, applied for several different internships. Um, one, even with the army, I, I had um, attempted to get an internship overseas um, through their um, MWR program that didn't turn out, but I did get a fantastic internship through the U.S. Olympic Committee um, in Colorado Springs, and I packed up my uh, Honda Civic, put my bike on the back, and uh, drove out to Colorado. And I knew no one, um, and I I did an internship at USA Hockey, and it was one of the very best times of my entire life. So I always tell young people when they ask me for um, advice, I say explore the world, go, you know, just go, you know, don't be fearful. Yeah. You know, you just have to go and figure it out. And it was, it was awesome. I ended up staying. You learn a lot about yourself if you move to a city and you don't know anybody. 
You really do. I mean, I should say, um, I wasn't just like hanging out there by myself. There were about 20 other interns that were through this USOC program and we all lived um, on the USOC campus. And so there was a lot of social socializing going on and, you know, we had a really, really fun summer. Um, but uh, there is something to be said for going where you don't know anyone and uh, really redefining mm-hmm. yourself and, um, you know, standing on your own two feet and figuring it out. You know, there's a lot of that that happens in college, too, if you um, don't live at home, if you, you know, wherever you might be, you know, figuring out, like, how do I pay for this or how do I get from here to there or how do I manage the situation? You know, there's a lot of growing up in those those early years. So anyway, I um, loved my internship. Uh, ended up getting hired full time um, at USA Hockey and stayed for about another year, year and a half. Um, I lived on my own, got my own apartment. Again, you know, <laughs> so much learning, so much, uh, you know, figuring out who I was as a person at that time. Um, and I met my husband there. Um, I met him in Colorado. He had been um, in the Army. Um, he was stationed at Fort Carson. And um, we we met and it was pretty, pretty instantaneous in terms of, you know, um, our knowing that we wanted to be together. So we, um, we moved to Ohio. He's from here. So he pulled me to Ohio. I never thought Cleveland was going to be on my life path. <laughs> um, I will say we moved here, um, in the winter in January of 2001 and moving from Colorado oh, in the winter to Cleveland in the winter is a very odd experience. It's just a very different type of winter. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it was That's a little tough. rough. Yeah, it was a little rough, but, um, but I'm so glad, you know, when I look back on my life, you know, moving to Cleveland was, um, one of the very best things that ever happened to me. Um, obviously meeting my husband was pretty great too. Um, and then meeting David Gilbert, he's, he's the third person in this, uh, trifecta of great things that happened to me. You know, he ended up, has ended up being one of my greatest champions and supporters and has provided me with a ton of opportunities. So, um, he was actually one of the very first people I met when we moved here. Um, I, um, we moved here and I didn't have a job. He didn't have a job. Uh, Danny, my husband didn't have a job and, and we just, we knew we needed to be here. Um, my husband was married before and has a son who's now 23. So at the time he was about two, two and a half. Um, and so we needed to be here. I mean, I understood that was a priority for my husband and supported that wholeheartedly. So we moved here and um, just, Again, (laughs) that thing you learn when you go out to a different state by yourself is the same thing that you employ when you move to a different state knowing no one. We'll figure it out. You know, we'll figure it out. So we came here and um, yeah, through some connections I had um, at Indiana, um, I got hooked up with David Gilbert. Um, I called him. This is the other thing I, I always tell young people, like, you just have to ask. You just have to ask for what you want. I called him out of the blue. Mm -hmm. I said, you don't know me. I'm, you know, 22 or whatever. Like I just moved here. I'm recently graduated. Um, and I'm looking for a job in sports. Uh, will you meet with me? And he said, of course. And so I drove. Not amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. And he's still that way now. Like, you know, things have changed and he's super busy, but he is still that same way now. Like he'll do that for anyone. I mean, I'm not recommending it. everyone call him and ask him for that, but you know, he's just very generous <laughs> with his time. Yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna give out his cell phone number here. <laughs> no, no, please, you know, please, please don't. Um anyway, um <laughs> so I, I met with him. Um it, it was like I said, it was a, a day in January in two thousand one and we talked for several hours. Um he was, like I said, very generous with his time. Interestingly, it was the day after the very first sports awards, which is the sports commission's big annual fundraiser. Mm. So the office was a mess. There were boxes everywhere. You know, he was in jeans, which now I know is pretty, pretty unusual. Um, 
And anyway, we talked and talked. And by the end of the conversation, um, through a twist of fate, he ended up having a position available and said, you know, could this be something you're interested in? And um, it was to be his administrative assistant. And I said, uh, no, not interested in being your administrative <laughs> assistant. I really want to work on events. I really want to, you know, um, you know, work for my own name. I really want to, you know, um, I want to do more than just administration. And he said, well, you could do both. You could do, um, you, you could be the event coordinator and the executive assistant. And, uh, you know, I, again, I had no other opportunities at that moment. And I really loved, you know, everything that he had told me. And so I, I said, yes. Um, and so I started and I think it was like February 1st, 2001, and um, was his executive assistant and the event coordinator. Now, keep in mind, we had about um, three employees at the time. So, you know, being the event coordinator also meant I was the only events person um, on the staff. Hmm. So, you know, it was um, traditional, what you would expect from a small nonprofit punching above their weight, trying to do more than probably what their um probably what they were, you know, capable of doing. Um, that's yeah. always been a, a tenant of the sports commission way. Uh, we'll get it done. We'll figure it out. You know, it, it will, it will work itself out kind of thing. So, yeah. So I started there and um, the rest is, is history. You know, I'm, I'm glad, happy to <laughs> dive in a little deeper, but that's sort of where I came from and how I ended up at the sports commission. Yeah. And, and I know that you, um, you started there, you left, you came back. So let's, let's yeah. jump into that. I mean, you've had your hand in a ton of different causes and philanthropy work. Um, let's talk about those. There's the Alzheimer's Association, the American Heart Association, the American Liver Foundation. Uh, what is it about this type of involvement, involvement in work that you're most interested and passionate about? Sure. So I really think Paul, that there are some people who are just born to work in nonprofit, um, people who just, I agree with be, you. Yeah. Whether it be, you know, compassion for others or, or, you know, real desire to be connected to a cause or, you know, how that can motivate a person. I'm that person. I also I, would I, say, I, I don't want, I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, I also no. would say like the ability to not get burnt out and like see the bigger picture because so many people come and go, they like flame out, like, five, six, seven years, they put their whole life into it. And then they're like, oh my God, I can't do this anymore. You know, and yeah. that's the unfortunate part. So if, if, if you have that ability, it's like, yes, absolutely. I agree with you. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, I think part of the reason why I've had longevity in the nonprofit world is because I've spent so much of my time at the sports commission and it's having those deep mm -hmm. relationships and, and seeing a, a future for myself there and, and, you know, continuing to be challenged with new opportunities if I had stayed at one organization, um, well, and also the sports commission is, is small and local. Many of those other organizations have, you know, a parent company and they, you know, nonprofit, of course, and, and they, they sort of send down, you know, the details and the way the procedures and protocols of how things are done. And there's not a ton of flexibility. Um, sports commission has given me a lot of flexibility. I joke and say that my main um, job is to make something out of nothing at the sports commission. You know, many of our projects are things that don't exist and, and we are creating it as we go. And um, we, we say changing the tires on the car while you're rolling down the road, you know, <clears throat> it's very yeah. fast paced and very interesting though. And exciting. Yeah. I, I, um, so I worked at the commission for two years or so and I got burnt out exactly what you just said, Paul, I got burnt out. We were doing way more than what our staff and, organization could handle. We were relying very heavily on volunteers, board members, community members, um, which is all good stuff. 
but I was also getting married at the time and I was very young and it was, it was more than what I could handle. So, um, I, I was there about two years. Um, moral of the story here is never burn a bridge. You know, I mean, I quit, Mm -hmm. I left the sports commission. I told David I was leaving and I left and, um, he, he said, you know, you've been really good to us and, and, you know, I hope, I hope I've been good to you and, you know, I hope you'll keep in touch. And I said, yep, sure thing. Um, we'll, we'll keep in touch. Serendipitously, I took a job at a, um, at a, at Classic Worldwide Productions, which was a video um, and broadcasting company. Um, we actually ended up getting the contract to produce the sports awards um, for the next three years. And I was the person on the team that worked with the sports commission to produce the event. So that was <laughs> super go. lucky. It's for like me. you never left. <laughs> right. I mean, because I already knew what they were about. And I, 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 um, was able to keep those relationships intact, you know, specifically with David. Um, and I was able to just keep, um, keep close to the organization. And, um, what I didn't mention about my college career, I'll I'll go back for one second is my, my desire in college was to someday work for the women's sports foundation. I'm super passionate about, uh, gender equality in particular. Um, and, and, how that relates to sports. So my desire was always, I, I tried, you know, to work for the Women's Sports Foundation. So fast forward now back, um, I'm, I'm working in broadcasting and um, event production uh, with Classic Worldwide. I um, had some super great experiences there. We ended up working primarily at what was then the Gundarina, um, managing mm-hmm. all of the Cavs broadcasts, um, the home and away broadcast for the games. Super interesting, something I never would have ever had exposure to had I not taken that job. And that job in, in event production um, ended up serving me very well over the course of the next however many years, just having that experience and understanding of how things yep. work on the broadcast side. Anyway, David called me and he said, um, we won the bid to host the women's final four in 2007. Oh. Um, and we want you to do all of our community programming around women in sports. And I oh, like, man, almost that's, that's it. Around. That's the dream. Right. Yeah, that's it. And, and, you know, he knew that, like, you know, he, this was not a surprise. Yeah. He, he knew that. And, um, I was, I was trepidatious though. You know I mean? Again, I had been burnt out by the commission and, and just, you know, was kind of cautious. And, and I said, well, you know, how's this going to work and whatever. And we worked out the details and I went back to the commission in 2005, um, and did that. I did women's final four, all the community programming around that event. It was quite robust. Um, it would take a whole nother hour for me to tell you everything that we did, um, around women and girls in sport. Um, it was the 35th anniversary of title nine. Um, we did some public participation programs and and we did a lot in like the youth mentoring and leadership area as it relates to, um, uh, athletes and, and sports. And, um, and it was awesome. I mean, I worked so hard, um, but it was something like, again, that was sort of my first taste of really believing in the project that I was doing and really loving the outcome and, and seeing kind of like the effort on the front end, you know, comes out on the back end and and you can really see like Mm -hmm. my blood, sweat and tears were not, uh, you know, taken for granted. You know, it was like, wow, you know, we, we all together put on these amazing events and, and then here's the outcome and the community loved it and the NCAA loved it and our sponsors loved it. And I felt very accomplished, um, and, uh, and thrilled. And one of the, so this was a contract job though. You know, I took it in 2005, knowing that after women's final four, that job would end and mm-hmm. I would need to be looking for something else. And so after the final four, David and I talked and, and he, he did offer me a job. He offered me the possibility of staying on, but it wasn't with a, 
uh, an event that I felt as, you know, um, passionate about. And at that point, I also had, you know, met a lot of people and, and you know, kind of saw, you know, a, a lot of different things as I was growing and decided that I wanted to um, go out on my own and, and have my own company. Um, I had worked with a, a contractor here in Cleveland. She's still around, still doing doing a great job on events. Meredith Camp, uh, Meredith Camp Events is the name of her company. We, I had worked with her on Women's Final Four. We had contracted with her for a few things and loved what she did, loved how she could set her own you know, schedule. She had young children. I was really fascinated by the way that she balanced, you know, work and home life. She worked from home, which at that time was not as prevalent. Um, no. And she advised me and we talked and talked and I ended up going out on my own and I started RSB Consulting. Those are my initials, RSB. So RSB Consulting. And that's, <laughs> that's how I ended up working with the Alzheimer's Association, the Heart Association, the Liver Foundation. Um, I also worked a lot with Meredith Camp. She hired me to do quite a bit of uh, work for her and I did a variety of other things. So I was man managing multiple projects at the same time for, for various um, nonprofits. And that was the sweet spot that I found. You know, if, if I came in as a producer on an event, that let the nonprofit staff really focus on the fundraising, which is what they're there to do. So it was a really nice balance um, and I loved it. Um, I've always been the kind of person that has to have, you know, seven different things going on at the same time. Um, and so this, this worked for me. Um, and so I, I did that for about three years. Um, I worked from home. Um, I had my son at that time. Um, I had him in 2008. That provided an excellent platform or situation for me uh, to have a young child. I worked, I think, three days a week for at least a year um, and was able to balance, you know, spending time with him and, and, and working. Um, <clears throat> and it was an excellent experience. I made so many um, great contacts and, and had a wonderful um you know, professional experience with that. But if you recall, you know, 2008 and nine is when the economy started to take a dip and a lot of these nonprofits really started to suffer um, or they were worried, you know, about what it was going to look yeah. like for them. And so it started to get a little harder to get my contracts confirmed because, mm -hmm. you know, they, they were counting their pennies and trying to make sure that they were going to be okay for the future. And so that's when I started you know, I'd be up at night, you know, with my son, you know, in the rocking chair, like, what am I going to do? You know, are we going to be okay? Kind of thing. And, um, like a dream, David Gilbert called me. Um, I continued to work with the sports commission. They were actually one of my clients at that time too, with some smaller projects. And, um, and he said, we've got the 2013 national senior games coming. Do you want to come and, and help us write grants and, and help us work on community programming? And I was like, Yes. <laughs> Immediately, uh, yes. I, I, I need, I I need to meet you. David. I want David to, to advise me in my life. I'm telling you, it's one of the best things. I, t I, I wrote him a, a thank you note recently, and I, and I sent it to his home, and I just said, seriously, like, I mean, I did not know in 2001 when I met you, like, how important you would end up being in my life, and it's just a blessing, you know. It, it really is a blessing. And of course he would say, well, it wouldn't have worked that way if you hadn't been so good at what you did too. You know, so I, I get that. We're just a good, good match. So he called me and asked me if I'd come back. And again, I was trepidatious and I said, yes, I, I definitely want to do this. But, you know, when I had worked on women's final four, I was working all hours of the day and night. I gave it 120%. I, I, um, practiced being in two places at one time, which didn't work out very well, but, you know, mm -hmm. we, we got through, I mean, I gave it everything. And I just pointed out that, you know, I was a mother now and I had a young child and I would give it everything, but that, you know, I, I had to have some different kind of boundaries. And he totally understood. 
I would say that that's the other thing. I mentioned it about Meredith, um, Meredith Camp, but David is the same way. When I met David, he had two young kids. I mean, his son Bradley was, you know, an infant at the time. And I always admired how he was able to balance things. I mean, he put on his calendar, Bradley soccer game, you know, um, Emily choir concert, you know, I mean, he would put stuff on his calendar to make sure that he, you know, met his family obligations. And I always appreciated that. And so when I said, well, that's no, such a thing too, where when people ask like, what's the culture at this company? That <laughs> That's a good example of how to explain what the culture of a company is. You're absolutely right. And I'll say that that culture has continued to this day. We have a relatively young staff, but a few of us are parents. Um, we have a couple folks that have younger kids and, um, and we always say family first. Um, it has to be family first, you know, um, that, so, so you're right. You're, you're right. So I saw that. I saw David model that behavior. I saw that it was um, acceptable. I saw that it was, um, you know, not only acceptable, but encouraged. I mean, you know, he, he always wanted me to have a great relationship with my family, of course, and not to sacrifice my family for my work. Um, mm -hmm. So I agreed to come back and, um, and, and that's the last time I came back. So that was in um, February of 2011. So, you know, that's been almost 10 years that I've been back. Uh, I'm sorry, 11 <laughs> counting, uh, mm -hmm. almost 11 years. So in total, I mean, I, I, I kind of slim it down and tell people I've been with the commission most of the last 20 years, which is true. Um, yeah. it's definitely my home. It's definitely where I belong. Um, I've learned so much and I've, and I've met so many people and I've had such fantastic exposure to how to run a nonprofit, um, how to just exposure to different components of how nonprofits are run. Um, I, I couldn't be happier. I mean, I, I really, truly, Paul, consider myself to be one of the lucky ones to, to love the people I work with, to love the people above me. Um, I feel like our board really appreciates who we are and what we do as an organization. Um, I feel like I'm compensated appropriately. Um, and I have a huge passion for what I do. You know, it, it would be impossible to work in this field if you didn't care and love what you were doing. Um, you would get burnt out to your point. I mean, yeah. you would not be able to sustain the level of, um, production that we often have to have, um, and when you work in events, you know, it's, it's obviously like ebbs and flows. Like we do have downtime and we really try to capitalize when we have downtime and really recharge the batteries. But like right now we are moving fast right now. We're a month out from the all-star game and um, our whole staff is, is grinding um, to get everything yeah. done, but it's a labor of love. It's because we care. We care about what it, what this event will do for the community. We care about the reputation of the sports commission and the reputation of Cleveland. Um, and we want to put out good, good work. So, you know, we're all, we're all working really hard. So um, let's focus on the last 10 years then. So talk to us about the growth that you've seen um, in the commission, how you've played a part in that growth, um, and maybe even just how things have changed uh, within the, the commission industry as a whole. Sure. Those are some big questions. Um, <clears throat> so I was brought in as the director of um, development and programming, I think, at that time. And so that's really when my role as fu a fundraising professional really began. Uh, I remember telling David, um, I've never written a grant. And he was like, you'll be fine. I'll teach you. It'll be fine. You know, I mean, you'll, again, you'll learn. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you'll learn. Um, he's always been a fan of, you know, get the right person in the role and we can teach them what they need to know. But it's really about the culture and the, and the fit. 
Um, so that's when the fundraising side of my work began. And I always continued to do the community outreach programming. So, you know, similar to what I had done with Women's Final Four, I was going to continue to do that type of work um, in the community. Um, I, I've been involved in a lot of things. As time has gone and, and the organization has shifted, you know, we had some key leaders leave about five years ago. And so that sort of reshuffled things. And that's when I was promoted to vice president. Um, and that really allowed me to see a little more deeply into the organization and really understand more about, you know, who we were and, and how we were growing. What I'll say is, um, David, I mean, I, I understand there's a theme in this whole conversation, right? I'm talking a ton about David because I just really believe in, in the leader that he is and the way that he has directed the sports commission over the years, I think is unusual. So, so I'll continue to say that, but David, um, and our executive committee and our board, you know, those are really the, the, the people and the groups that lead the sports commission and help us see ourselves into the future. We have always been trailblazers. We have always punched above our weight. We have always done the thing that others think we maybe can't do. Um, that's the culture. The culture is to think big, you know, come up with the wacky ideas and let's figure out if we can get it done. Um, let's make a lot out of a little. Yeah, I mean, these are actually some of our core values, um, but let's let's see how we can leverage our resources in order to make this crazy thing happen. You know, whether it's an event or a program, um, you know, we are known within the sports commission industry as a very creative, very um, progressive, very um, gutsy um, organization. And that has, um, that has benefited us over the years. You know, we... We do things for events that other cities haven't done, you know, whether whether they haven't because they can't or whether they haven't because they didn't think of it. Again, you know, the creativity that comes from David down. And, and again, he instills that in us. So then we're creative, too. But, you know, mm -hmm. for Women's Final Four, no other city had built all this programming around the event the way that we had done. And after that, the NCAA adopted several of the programs and several of the ideas that we had created. And now that's part of the requirement for future cities you know, to host. Um, we did the same around the National Senior Games in 2013. Um, that event is, um, is hosted every other year. Um, it had never been in Cleveland before. Um, and we, we <laughs> to say that we put an army together to run this event would be an understatement. We had about <laughs> 40 people or more, you know, um, full-time staff, part-time staff, you know, um, temporary staff running this event. And again, my role was really around the community program. We did a whole year of programming in Cleveland on active aging and healthy living for the senior community. No city had ever even considered that kind of thing or considered how that could benefit the event or how that could benefit the city or how that could, you know, really maximize the effect of the event in the community. So, you know, we, we just have these big ideas and the fact that David puts, um, he puts staff behind the ideas. He puts dollars behind the ideas. He helps make the connections to make it happen. I mean, the, it, just the fact alone that he prioritizes it and it's not just a, you know, last minute thought really is what makes us different from other sports commissions. So, so what's the, what's the, um, the culture like, or the relationships, because at the end of the day, you're competing against each other, but like, what are the relationships between commissions in cities? Yeah. And I, I don't mean like, your relationship with Austin, Texas, because sure. sure, but like Columbus, and Cincinnati, <laughs> like what's the relationship there? Because I, I'm going to assume that, yes, you're happy when they get cool events, but you wanted that event, right? right. Like, that's right. hard. 
So sometimes, yes, sometimes that is hard. Um, what I'll say though, is that it is relatively, relatively rare that we are going after the same events at the same time. Um, oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. You know, so Columbus is a great example. Um, we are close with the Columbus Sports Commission. Um, David and Linda Logan speak at mm -hmm. least once a week, honestly, I, I believe, um, especially in the pandemic. I know they've had weekly talks with even other sports commissions. They have uh, like a Zoom every week where they're sort of talking about how the pandemic has affected the industry and kind of what each city is doing. So you can see there, that's a very collaborative type relationship that they have. But the mm -hmm. really get to your question though, you know, Columbus has Ohio State and Ohio State has incredible facilities, um, a humongous campus. Um, they have they have opportunities uh, there that we don't have just based on the demographics and the layout and the facilities and the things that we have in Cleveland. Likewise, we have three professional sports teams that are different than the ones that Columbus has. And so we have different facilities than mm -hmm. they do, right? So it's sort of like we're siblings in a way, you know, some things fall to them and some things fall to us. And we generally are very supportive um, over that. Well, we're always supportive. There, there have been times when we've gotten our heart broken, you know, if, if we do happen to be going after the same event in the same year or even the same event in a series of years. And, and really the rights holder just picks one Ohio City um, that that has happened. Um, but more than anything, it's uh, we, we are collaborative. We are friendly. We are sharing um, trade, not trade secrets, but, you know, we're, we're sharing information. There've been quite a few mm -hmm. times when they've hosted an event and we've sent a team down to see it and scope it out and, and, you know, ask questions and, you know, especially if we're hosting it in the future. And there've been times when their team has come up here um, to illustrate the point though, about our being collaborative about five years ago, maybe it was a little bit more. We actually did a retreat with um, Columbus and St. Louis and Kansas city and the sports commissions of our two cool. cities. We met in Indiana and we, we collaborated for about three days and we talked about every part of the organization. We broke into groups, you know, based on, you know, the different areas where we all worked. And we and we spent three days, you know, kind of talking about what this industry is like and, and how we can all be better. We learned from each other and it was awesome. I'd like to think we'd do it again and, and we probably would, but we're all just so busy. You know, I mean, the schedules are packed, which is great news. Um, yeah. But so we're, we're very collaborative. There is a, um, a national organization of sports commissions. They're called Sports ETA. Most sports commissions in the country are a member. Um, there's continuing education. There's a job board. There's, you know, event uh, requests for uh, proposals, you know, go through that organization. Um, and so we're also tied in with other sports commissions through Sports ETA. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, Paul, but Cleveland, um, we won Sports Commission of the Year in 2019. Um, based on having hosted, I did not know that. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, and, and there, I think there may be tiers for size, city size, but for cities our size, we won Sports Commission of the Year, and we were thrilled. I mean, obviously, we were thrilled. Yeah. Um, so there, there is an organization that kind of oversees, and I mean, they don't, um, you know, they're not. Uh, what am I trying to say? We don't report to them or anything. It's really more just like a you know, sure. organization. Um, the last thing I'll say there is that um, also Sports ETA is the group that creates the economic impact calculator that we use to measure the impact of the events in our cities. So we're all mm -hmm. using the same calculator. We're all using the same, you know, um, uh, uh, points of, of um, detail, you know, in terms of determining what economic impact is, which helps because economic impact can be a little tricky. Um, some of it is a bit of a guess, but uh, knowing that we're all working from the same tool um, really provides some credibility and, and some support uh, for the numbers that we're putting out. 
um, on the back end, because that is really ultimately our our uh, measure of success is how much money yeah. are we pouring into the economy by hosting this event. Um, the yeah. the NFL NFL draft. I'll use that as an example. It's a little bit odd because of the pandemic, but you know it, it cost about. I may not get these numbers totally correct, but let's say that it costs you know three million dollars to run. Um, we, for the most part, are responsible for raising that money and for and for um, maintaining our obligation to the NFL. And we go to local sponsors, we work with the venues, uh, we go to foundations. You know, we we raise the money. Um, the state also does contribute based on the sales tax that they'll generate from the event. Um, and so we raise the money. But then the backside of that is that. Uh, Cleveland um, experienced a, a $43 million economic impact. So for the two or $3 million it costs on the front end, $43 million was, was you know. Yeah, no brainer. No brainer. No brainer. And that is about half of what we expected it to be because of the pandemic and the restrictions that were put on it and, and you know, the way sponsors didn't yeah. travel and stuff at that time. So, you know, um, NBA has a has a greater opportunity because we are in a different phase of the pandemic. Um, MLB All-Star Game in 2019 was even higher. You know, we th- that's really the, the main thing that we're focused on is economic impact, although a very close second is this community impact that I've been talking about, uh, making sure that the the community knows that we're hosting these events and that they can somehow benefit from it um, is a really big part of what we do. Also, it's, it's actually in our mission statement, to be honest. So it's it's um, it's secondary, but only by a little. Yeah. And I want to I want to ask a question about the, the community aspect of it and mm-hmm. specifically volunteers. I mean, you guys are running events constantly throughout the year. And in order for them to be successful, there's a lot of things that go into it. But of course, you guys have to foster a very loyal volunteer group like how how do you guys do that you know because again like when it comes back to burnout burnout can be anybody you know like if you volunteer for three four massive events like maybe you want to take a break so how does that work how do you guys uh kind of keep them coming back and, and fostering that that group sure um great question and you're absolutely right we could not do the things that we do if we didn't have a loyal um and hardworking volunteer database so um, the volunteer program began in 2001. Um, you know, we had very few resources at the time and, and, you know, we, we just did the best that we could, um, to create a volunteer program. Um, we have been extremely lucky. I mean, what we have found is that, um, quite a few of the volunteers that we see regularly also volunteer for Playhouse Square or the orchestra or, you know, some of the other major groups in town. So they are experiencing a very, um, diverse set of um, events and activities. So although we may ask a lot of them, it's sort of sprinkled in among all the other things that they're doing. I mean, we have a big group of sort of um, retired career volunteers, you know, who do this, you know, multiple times a week for various organizations around around the city. Having said that, we 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 do our best to treat our volunteers very nicely. Um, we, we communicate with them regularly. We have a monthly volunteer newsletter that goes out um, we try to do different things. Like for a while, we were shouting out volunteers, like volunteer of the month kind of thing, you know, where we would um, highlight a volunteer in the newsletter and, and, you know, introduce them to the world, so to speak. We have an annual award that we give um, to our volunteer of the year um, who, you know, does a lot for us. And um, we track their hours so we know how many hours folks are spending with us. So the volunteer of the year is, is always a very, um, that's a fun thing. We normally um announced that at Sports Awards. So it's a very high profile moment, you know, for that volunteer. Um, We, in the last 
five years or so, we created a volunteer appreciation process where normally at the end of the year, again, last couple of years, you know, uh, been a little bit different. We've had many fewer events, but um, we, we, sometimes we host a breakfast and we invite all the volunteers to come and the staff, you know, we're flipping pancakes and making eggs and, you know, serving breakfast <laughs> to the volunteers and David's there flipping pancakes and making eggs. Um, and he speaks to the group and thanks them personally, you know, for, um, for the time that they give to us. Um, and the other thing is, you know, when we have big events like NFL draft, that event will draw in a totally different, um, uh, type of volunteer than what we would expect for junior volleyball nationals, you know? So these sure. big events give us a boost in terms of our volunteer database. And, you know, we may not see some of them again, you know, they may have only been interested in NFL football. And so until we have another event like that, we may not hear from them, but at least they're in the database and they're getting information about what we do. The number one thing is, um, and I'll say this for volunteers at the event level. <clears throat> so volunteers that come for a three hour shift, to our associate board, which is a 40-person uh, volunteer group of mid-career professionals who are committed to the Sports Commission and the goals of the Sports Commission, to our board, you know, 75-ish corporate executives who are committed to the Sports Commission and, and our goals and our mission, to our executive committee, you know, when we say volunteer, we refer to all of those people. And the culture of the organization is to prioritize them and make sure that these relationships are strong. David spends, um, his goal is to meet each year with 50 board members, um, to have either a breakfast or lunch individually with 50 board members. And so if you do that year over year, you know, he meets with everyone at least once a year. Usually it's way more than that, you know, depending on <clears throat> the things that are happening. But, you know, prioritizing these relationships with the people who voluntarily give their time to the sports commission is incredibly important to the organization's success and to the impact we can have on the community. Yeah, I love it. Um, okay, let's jump into the All-Star Game. Uh, obviously the, well, I don't want to say obviously, but the premier event of the year, I, I assume. Yeah, I um, um, Talk to us about, let's back up. Like, when did you guys win that bid? How far out did that, does that usually happen? So um, I'm going to try to rem remember, Paul. The problem is we, we won four bids um, for major events within a small period of time. So um, if you take a step back and look, you know, we won the bid to host um, the NFL draft. That was actually the last one that we won. The NFL draft, okay. the MLB All-Star Game in 2019, so Major League Baseball, um, NBA All-Star Game in 2021, and the Women's Final Four in 2024. So four major events within a six-year period. That is way more than any city ever really wants to host because it's such a heavy lift. Um, financially, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, raising the money to host those events is significant. We had raised about $15 million cumulatively to, to host these four events. Um, it's, a, it's a heavy lift on the staff. It's a heavy lift, lift on volunteers, on city services, on our partner organizations like Downtown Cleveland Alliance and, and others. Um, so... So, you know, we're looking at these these events kind of together. As it relates to NBA, um, I want to say we won the bid uh, in 2019. I'm going to guess. Okay. Uh, I just, so I it's, a couple, it's a couple years. A few out. years. Exactly. The process is a few yeah. years long. Um, it's, it doesn't just happen. And it, these events are highly competitive. So, again, if, if the uh, NBA All-Star Game is bringing $100 million into our community, Many cities would want that money um, in their community, especially right now, you know, pandemic recovery and, yeah. and whatnot. Um, and so, yes, it takes multiple years. It, it requires 
strong collaboration between the teams, so the Cavaliers, um, the building, Rocket Mortgage Field House, the city, city of Cleveland, the Sports Commission, um, Downtown Cleveland Alliance. Like there are a lot of organizations that have to come together in order to put a, a credible and worthy bid on the table um, for the NBA to consider. We, you may remember um, Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse went through a renovation. Um, and so that also played into the process of getting the, the event. Um, you know, the NBA has um, their own standards of, of what the All-Star Game should look like and feel like for their guests and for their athletes. And so that renovation really was, uh, you know, part of the equation as well, but it does take several years. And even once, you know, your bid is accepted and, and it's, um, you know, being reviewed, there are multiple site visits and conversations and uh, contract negotiations and, you know, all the different details that go in. I, I failed to mention the hotels. They're a humongous part of what we do. If we didn't have good mm -hmm. relationships with the hotels, um, none of this would happen. You know, they, they have to be interested in playing in the sandbox with us and giving reasonable rates for these events. Um, you know, committing three years in advance to a weekend can sometimes be tough because you have to really decide, you know, are, are we going to be totally full and sell at this rate? Or if we don't commit, you know, could we get more, you know, for the hotel during the actual event, but maybe not have it guaranteed? So, you know, we really rely on the hotels um, to help us uh, put fantastic bids on the table. So after you win an event like the All-Star Game or even the NFL Draft, is there a limit um, a time limit on when you can apply for that again? And is that set by you guys? Is that set by the NBA? How, how does that work? So um, I'm not aware of there being a time limit, but but typically a city would need some years off <laughs> because, you know, okay. um, you know, you and and like the NBA for their own reasons, they probably wouldn't want to come back to Cleveland within five years. You know, there are a lot of other cities that want to host. The yeah, event. that makes sense. You know, they, they can vary the experience for the athletes and for the people that are coming to the event. Yeah. A lot of people travel um, for NBA All-Star and a lot of these big major events. And so they don't want people coming back to the same city. But it's a heavy lift locally. So for the same reason that I just said, you know, a city might not look to host four major events in six years because it just takes a lot. It takes a lot to raise that money. It takes a lot to motivate all those people that I mentioned, you know, to really get behind these events. It's a lot of effort and none of us make money on it. You know, I mean, many of the groups I mentioned are nonprofits and if they're not like the Cavaliers, you know, they like to host the all-star game just because it sort of, you know, adds juice to who they are and what they do. And they, it's mm -hmm. like a feather in their cap to have hosted the all-star game, but they're not making money on this uh, for the most part. Yeah. So, you know, it is a heavy lift locally, but it's what we do. You know, um, Paul, some events that we host because we're a nonprofit, some events that we host, we do make some money. You know, there is money made from whether it be sponsorship or event revenue, ticket sales, stuff like that. I'm not talking about NBA because we're not involved in like the ticket side of that. But for some of the smaller events, you know, there might be a chance to make some money. Um, but many of the events lose money. But because we're a nonprofit, our goal is to raise money outside of the events to support those that don't make money so that they can be here to pour money into the community, right? Like that's kind of the yeah. purpose of a nonprofit is to be there for the community and be there for the city and not to, not to, um, you know, have revenue on revenue on revenue. You know, we're, we're lucky. Um, another thing that has changed over the years um, is that we have been very successful in some of our events and we've been able to um, build up, um, you know, 
a rainy day fund, so to speak. You know, um, most nonprofits like to have, you know, uh, six months of operating capital in the bank. Well, we started with about three days, you know, back in 2001. You know, we were brand new and, and we were, uh, you know, working toward that goal. Well, we were able yeah. to, over the years, you know, have that cushion. And thank goodness we did, because when the pandemic came and all the events were canceled, not one employee from the sports commission was furloughed. Um, we kept wow. our whole staff. Good for you guys. We were That's very amazing. strategic about what we were working on at that time and what can we be doing to prepare us for, for the future. You know, we did have NBA, uh, NBA All-Star Game and also NFL Draft right on the horizon. So, you know, David, again, and the executive committee and the board, um, they really looked carefully at, at, you know, what we had coming up and, and what effects it would be if we lost our staff, any of our staff in terms of what we needed to do in the next year or two. And we're, we're extremely lucky. Um, we, we, yeah, we were able to stay on. And I, I just, I, I can't explain to you how grateful, you know, I am to the, to the group who agreed that it was appropriate to, um, you know, keep the staff and dip into that rainy day fund in order to make that happen. So we're, we're lucky. I love it. I don't remember what the question was. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, anyway. You know what? Me neither. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, let's, uh, let's talk about the Cleveland Power of Sports Summit that's going to be taking place during the All-Star Game. Tell us what that event is about and what your guys' involvement is. Sure. So um, this is my favorite topic. Um, you're probably going to have to cut me off because I, I, no, um, no. I love this event so much. So we created this event. We created it last year in 2001, 2021. Um, it was sort of born from, from the pandemic uh, to a certain extent. Um, again, when we host major events, we like to create opportunities for community involvement. And leading into the NFL draft, because of the pandemic, um, we were not able to create programming through the schools. We were not able to create public events where people would come and gather and experience something together. You know, all the ideas that we had on paper and that we were aiming for kind of got crushed. And so when we got to the point where we knew the draft was going to happen, we knew we still needed to um, do something um, around it. We also have partners, you know, sponsors that come on to support what we're doing and their names get tied to these community events. And so, you know, we had obligations to our partners also to, to do something within the community. We decided early on, even back before Major League Baseball All-Star Game, that our um, our focus was going to be diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how sport um, relates to DE&I in the, in, the, in the community, you know. Um, and so we, we decided we were going to put all of our eggs in one basket. We had never really done it this way before, but we put all of our programming effort into this one big event. And so we created the Power of Sports Summit. The first one was held in April of 2021. Um, and it was, it, we created it to be, um, a celebration of sport as a catalyst for change. So our mm -hmm. goal is, you know, we're talking about gender equity, racial equity, mental health, um, LGBTQIA advocacy and sport for all in terms of sport for people with disabilities. Those are our five topics. Sport as a catalyst for change is sort of the theme. And so we're exploring how sport affects all of those things in every kind of way. So, um, in 2021, you know, we partnered with the Female Quotient and we had their Equality Lounge speaker series as part of the summit. And they had panel discussions every hour on the hour for about 18 hours over the course of the event. We had demonstrations. Wow. We had um, Adaptive Sports Ohio um, out, you know, showing us what wheelchair basketball looks like. 
um, we had exhibits, um, RISE, uh, Ross Institute in Sport for Equality, I think is what they're called. They had a, a yeah. exhibit called Champions for Change. I always get that wrong, by the way. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, they do. They so, do good work. They do good work. Amazing work. And they, they have a, a podcast too, Champions for Change. And but they had an exhibit that they tailored toward Cleveland and, and all of the firsts that Cleveland has experienced in terms of um, equality through sport. And, and we brought their exhibit um, to Cleveland. Um, we had workshops. Uh, we coordinated with various community organizations to host free workshops about sport and social change, about unconscious bias, about coded language in sports. The things that you're saying that mm -hmm. you might not realize are offending someone or, or um, insinuating that, you know, players should be male or players should be white or players should be whatever, you know. Um, and we also, because of the pandemic, we created a digital learning lounge where we also had a ton of content digitally available um clips and podcasts and um you know virtual conversations all about diversity and sport and so that was available too so we, we again we put all of our eggs in one basket and decided this is the best that we can do under the circumstances we held it at progressive field which was a wonderful venue somewhat uncommon for an event like this but we needed this outdoor space and, and a lot of space for social distancing mm -hmm. Um, and it was awesome um, because we were outside in April, you know, Cleveland tends to not always uh, cooperate from a weather standpoint. So we had we had some challenges on day one, but we were thrilled with the um, with the response from the community. We were thrilled um, with the partnerships that we created. Um, we were um, surprised and pleased with the the message that hosting this event put out about Cleveland's commitment to DE&I um, mm -hmm. and the partnerships that we created with organizations like, um, well, the Cavaliers, you know, they, they have a whole, you know, diversity and inclusion department. And we created very strong mm -hmm. relationships with Kevin Clayton and, and his team there. I mean, they've been major champions for what we've been doing. We made relationships with black sports professionals, the national group, you know, uh, a, sports professionals, you know, who are black. Um, we created relationships with the Women's Sports Foundation, with the NCAA, with on and on and on. I mean, I, I could go on for, for quite a while. And these relationships are very, very valuable. And although we said at that moment, probably because we were tired, we're never going to do this again. You know, this was great, <laughs> but like, it's too much work. After the, the summit passed and we started thinking about what we wanted to do for NBA, we realized that we really had created something very special and a brand that yeah. had a lifespan that we felt could be continued. And so at that time, we spoke with our partners, um, First Energy and KeyBank, and we agreed to commit to doing the summit for three more years. So we're, we're right now we're in the midst of planning for 2022. Um, we are going to do a Power of Sports Summit in 2023 TBD on what it might look like because it's an off year for a major event. And then in 2024 with Women's Final Four, we're going to blow it out of the water. You know, that's sort of the culmination of, of all of these years of programming. So to get to your question, um, what's it going to be like? You know, what is it? What's it going to be like? So it's being held February 18, 19, and 20 um, at the Cleveland Metropolitan Conference Center, um, which is downtown. It's inside the one Cleveland Center building um, on the second floor. Um, we are following that same philosophy that I mentioned, um, sport as a catalyst for change in those, you know, five, five uh, areas that I mentioned. Um, we've changed it up a little bit, but for the most part, we, we have expanded our workshop offerings. So I want to say we have nine different workshops over those three days. They're all free. Um, each day, one of them is a lunch and learn that even includes a free lunch. Um, so tons of workshops. Oh, wow. 
we tried to vary them. So some are for professionals, some are for coaches, some are for um, parents. You know, we try to, uh, um, some are for students. You know, we, we try to switch them up so that every audience, you know, has a reason to be interested in the workshops. Um, we have a community corner area where we are inviting various community organizations who are doing work and, you know, within these fields to come and, and promote, you know, everything that they're doing. Um, and so each day we'll have five or six different organizations on site, you know, um, providing information and hopefully also doing some type of interactive um, uh, activity. We have demonstrations and exhibits. <clears throat> Rise is going to be back out with Champions for Change. Um, I'm trying to think. We, we are working with the Carnegie Initiative to do an exhibit on diversity in hockey, in American hockey, which is super interesting. Mm. Um, if you dive into that at all, you'll see there's a lot to say um, about diversity in hockey. Um, exhibits, um, or I'm sorry, demonstrations. I know like we have a challenge golf uh, demonstration. So golf for people with disabilities. Um, we'll have equipment out there to ex explain and, and show people what it's like to play golf if you are uh, vision impaired. Um, and then the big thing, uh, one more thing, we, we have a reflection room. Um, the Muhammad Ali Center is a partner with us on the reflection room. They are very focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion in sport and specifically character development through sport, you know, in Muhammad Ali's mm -hmm. You know, uh, vision, um, and they are hosting our reflection room. So as you're going through the summit and you're experiencing all these different things and you're learning about, you know, um, how sport has been an agent for change, you go into the reflection room, and this is supposed to be an experience that really ties it all together. And so you walk away having made a commitment, um, having made a pledge, having made a plan, you know, to how you're going to, you know, again, be an agent for change in your own community. Um, and then the main not the main thing, but, you know, there's a lot going on in the auditorium, right? We have a 400-person auditorium at this venue, and we have packed the schedule with panel discussions, movie showings, speaker conversations, um, fireside chats. We have a performing arts competition. Um, we've packed it with, with content um, throughout the weekend. And so we really are trying to create an opportunity for um, – athletes, parents, educators, coaches, professionals to come out and there'll be something there for everyone. Um, we have, so for example, um, we're, we're bringing in folks from the Women's Sports Foundation, the NCAA and the um, WNBA to talk about Title IX. Um, this happens to be the 50th anniversary of Title IX this year. So we're gonna talk about the importance of Title IX and what that's done. We're having a movie showing of the film Rising Phoenix, which is about US Paralympic athletes and what, um, you know, what they represent to the community, what they represent to the to the country and what their experience is. And Tatiana McFadden is a U.S. Paralympic athlete who's featured in the film. And she's going to come and do a talk back after the film about her experience and, and you know, what what her life is like. Um, we are going to have a performing arts contest. So excited about this. It's a separate program from the summit, but but it, it culminates at the summit. We recently launched a performing arts contest where poets and musicians, um, we have a youth component and an adult component. So anyone over age 14 really is, is invited to participate. Um, we, we invite folks to create um, original content, either in poetry or music, um, about the power of sport. So we use Nelson Mandela's power of sport quote. Um, yeah. as uh, inspiration. And we invite folks to create original content, you know, three minutes or so um, about how uh, sport has been a, an agent of change in their community or in their life. Um, and so you can submit that electronically by January 31st. 
we have a panel of extremely uh, high quality local judges within the performing arts community that will go through a first round and, and whittle down the, the field to three per um, category. So a total of 12 um, finalists. And those 12 finalists are gonna perform live at the Power Sports Summit um, on Saturday afternoon, wow. the 19th at four o'clock. And they're gonna be judged and there's cash prize um, for you know four different uh, winners will be awarded <laughs> cash prize. And I like, that was a, an event that I championed from the start. I just thought it was the coolest thing um, because we're trying mm -hmm. to bring arts and sport and change all together. Um, and it also yep. provides a great experience at the summit um, it provides funds for these artists to continue with their work. You know, I just felt like it was really a combination of things um, that, that would be valuable for us. So, so the summit is free. It's open to the public. Um, I'm going to just give a plug. You can get more information at cleesportsummit.org, or if you go to the Greater Cleveland Sports Commission webpage, you can link through um, to the summit. There's information there. Um, the Power of Sport Performing Arts competition is also linked there if you are looking for information on that. But we hope that folks will come out. Um, I'll say from a COVID perspective, that's probably the next question. We are where all systems go. This event is going to happen. Um, anyone who would like to come to the event needs to show proof of vaccination um, along with an ID. If you if you have an ID, if you're a child, obviously it's a little different um, or a recent negative test. So if you're not vaccinated for whatever reason, um, you can show a recent negative PCR or a rapid test um, and you will be able to come in. And then we're going to be masking um, throughout the event as long as you're not eating or drinking or performing. So um, it is open to everyone, but we do have those safeguards in place just to keep everyone safe um, and healthy. Um, but we do hope that folks will come out and folks will join us um, at the summit. Um, it's gonna be absolutely awesome. I'm so excited about it. So, uh, yes, I, so I think I know the answer to this. Two, two questions and then we're gonna get you out of here. Um, okay. and, and this answer cannot be based on economic impact or um, how many people attended. This is just <laughs> truly, what is your favorite event that you have helped run in your time with the commission? Um, so let's start there. What is your favorite event? And I think I know the answer based on <laughs> the last <laughs> you 10 minutes. Do. So um, <laughs> actually, I have a twist. I have a twist. Um, okay. Prior, prior to the last two years, I would have said Women's Final Four um, for the reasons that I mentioned. You know, I always had a desire to work in uh, advocacy around sports, specifically with um, gender equity and, and doing those um, those programming events around Women's Final Four in 2006 and seven were, I said it before, I mean, that was really the first time that my passion aligned so closely with my work. Um, and it was also an important time for me professionally. Um, I stretched myself in a major way. Um, I made a ton of great connections. I, I proved myself professionally to so many different people in the community, which, you know, that ultimately has helped me in my career. Um, so I would say Women's Final Four and the programming that we did around Women's Final Four. However, the last two, three years, as we have been doing all of these programs around Major League Baseball All-Star Game, uh, NFL draft, um, NBA all-star, and then eventually women's final four, this power sports summit is really special. Um, and you know, it, it speaks to my interest in, in gender equity in sport, but that also has been expanded, um, to include all of those things that I mentioned, you know, gender equity, racial equity, LGBTQ and more. Um, I, in that time, I've also become sort of the, um, DE and I, 
representative for the Sports Commission in terms of helping our organization grow um, and change and become more friendly um, in a DEI way. Many things have changed over the last year um, in order for us to be a more um, uh, inclusive organization. I joined the class of um, Northeast Ohio, uh, uh, the Diversity Center of Northeast Ohio, excuse me, um, has a program for professionals called Lead Diversity. And I joined that this year because I, I really want to learn more about what it means to be inclusive and, and how I personally and we professionally can, can do this. So all those things combined with the summit have really made this the most special professional experience of my time um, at the commission. Um, we That's also awesome. don't have a lot of opportunity to redo events. And so having done the event in 2021 and now, you know, redoing it in 22 and having the opportunity for future years is also very special. So, you know, we're 30 days or so out and I am so excited. We're working our tails off to get everything organized and ready to go. Um, we just need people to come. So, you know, Paul, I hope you'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm excited about it. I'll be up there at some point that weekend. I don't know if I'll be there uh, all three days, but um, sure. yeah, obviously we will... Uh, We'll do our best to grab coffee or, or lunch or just meet at the summit. Um, I love that. Okay, last question. Mm -hmm. uh, and usually, I think we're going to put a little twist on this one. Usually we ask people, hey, give us your favorite, you know, local watering hole, your favorite breakfast, lunch, dinner spot in Cleveland, anywhere you want to shout out. But I think for you guys, it's like, what's the best place you go to after an event? <laughs> Well, normally after an event, we're pretty and that, and that may just be home. Yeah, that may just be home. <laughs> My bed, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're pretty tired after an event. Now, we have had some epic uh, post-event um, gatherings, um, that is for sure. Um, so, but but I, I don't know if I can really answer that. Also, you know, we have, um, like I said, our staff, you know, is, is varied relatively young. Um, sometimes the younger folks who maybe don't have uh, children at home tend to go and do, you know, crazy stuff. Yeah. But I'm considered among the older crowd at this point. So um, <laughs> I don't know if I have a good answer for post-event. Um, usually events have some type of a, of a culminating, you know, event and, and a lot of us will go mm -hmm. there. But but I will answer your first question, though, and it does relate to work. Um, I would say my favorite downtown place at this point is Balance. Um, it's right on Euclid Avenue. It's delicious. Okay. Um, they do like bowls, you know, think of like Chipotle, but, you know, tends to lean yeah. more toward Asian food. Um, very, very healthy. And I'll tell you, it, among our my team, the programming team, there's three of us. We eat balance probably once or twice a week. Usually when we're all together, uh, and we're like spending hours, you know, really like you know, pouring through details and trying to finalize things, we usually get balance and we kind of fuel our bodies while we're working our minds. And um, that has been a local favorite um, for, you know, for a while now. So I will say balance awesome. downtown Euclid Avenue. It's delicious. All right. Well, Rachel, listen, this was fantastic. We really appreciate you coming on and, and uh, spending some time with us and, we wish you all the luck uh, in the next couple of weeks. I know that's uh, going to be stressful, but um, you know, I'm, I'm uh, obviously it's going to go great. Excited to see some basketball and all the other events around it. It's going to be fantastic. So um, good luck. We'll maybe we'll have you on uh, afterwards, and, and we'll have a decompressing episode. <laughs> that would be great. After the maybe All Star Game, we'll do it at the place, you know, with beverages or something. So yes. um, yeah. Well, Paul, I really appreciate the invitation to be on the podcast. It's very nice to meet you. Um, as you can tell, I'm very passionate about the work we do and and about the Sports Commission. So I'm I'm yours anytime you want to talk. Awesome. Thank you, Rachel. I appreciate it. Good luck, and we'll talk with you soon. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Paul.
Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Rust Belt Rundown. Make sure you check us out at rustbeltrecruiting.com. The Rust Belt Rundown is available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and click on five stars if you enjoyed this episode. See you next time.